स्थापकाय चर्मस्वूपिणे अवतारवरिष्ठा रामकृष्णा ते नम वसुदेवसुत कंसचाणूरमर्दनम वंदे जगत so today we will enter into a very important concept which has been described in the bhagavad gita is the concept of the divine incarnation the concept of avatar the purpose of the descent of god in a human form so it has been described from the fourth to the eighth verse of the fourth chapter of bhagavad gita so we will start with the shlokas and then we will go to the discussion this is a very very important subject that how divine can incarnate this is a thing which bewilders us there something which is infinite how can it come and take the form of a finite what's the idea which has been spoken of in this few shlokas it will be spoken of and we will resort to the yoga philosophy the patanjali yoga sutras there are some wonderful sutras which gives us the idea that why our understanding is limited and why spiritually what to speak of a divine incarnation even a spiritual realized person their knowledge becomes as if something pervasive they can see the past of their own incarnations the past births if you read the life of gautam buddha you will find it is mentioned there that just before he went to the nirvana the first thing that came to his mind was the flashback of the past lives from where the all the jataka stories have evolved and in all the screen our scriptures in yoga sutras it has been mentioned that para vairagya supreme renunciation comes when this portal opens up you can see your past lives because you see that every for each and every life all our worldly endeavors were the be all and end all of our existence to earn to just have family to be to have some reputation and then whatever nature gives us at certain point of time we are growing in our youth everything is as if nature pouring us in bounty and know it for certain the plan of the universe is such as we proceed through our life whatever nature gives us in bounty it will going to is going to take it back we all have to grow old nothing we can take with ourselves we all have to die so this cycle when you are just looking at your past this cycle this eternal cycle of being born and again this death with all aspirations nothing gets fulfilled again you are born is going on and then the idea which now we are speaking we are speaking always that what's the utility of this type of life but we don't realize when something such vivid you see in your with your own as if with your own vision you are seeing your past that the yoga sutra says ensues in para vairagya supreme renunciation and that alone can enter in the liberation so what to speak of a divine incarnation even for a spiritual realized soul before he has gone to that realization the step just ahead of that is the opening up of the portal of the past lives he can just see as if and those things will be discussed in these few verses and in the yoga sutra they have spoken the science behind it many of us now don't read the yoga sutras but it's a wonderful scripture it's a scripture which speaks of the science of the psychology and you also will understand it how wonderfully this concept has been described thousands of years back 
in these yoga sutras. So let us first enter into the slokas and then gradually as we come to the context, we will refer to this yoga sutra to understand the ideas which has been spoken of there. So the first, the fourth sloka of the fourth chapter where Arjuna is asking Krishna. Krishna has told that it is me who at the inception of the creation gave this knowledge, this yoga, which is which I am at, per, at present pertaining, giving it to you, delivering it to you. Don't think it is something which has been just devised by me to motivate you to take part in the battle. Don't think that. It is not that I am instigating. It is a knowledge which has come through some this spiritual transmission, this generation after generation, this ideas of parampara, lineage. And it is me only who instructed it at the very inception of the creation to Vivaswan, the god, the sun god, who instructed it to Ikshwaku, the first king of the sun dynasty. And he again instructed it to, uh, sorry, sun god uh, instructed it to Manu, the first human being, the progenitor of the humankind, and Manu instructed it to the it to Ikshwaku, the first king of the Sun dynasty. So now naturally Arjuna is bewildered that Krishna is of my age. He is my contemporary. How can he just speak of instructing this uh, yoga to the sun at the very inception of the creation? So that's the doubt which he is speaking of. Arjuna Vacha, Aparang Bhavato Janma, Parang Janma, Vivaswataha, Katham Etat Vijaniyam, Tvamadav Praktavan Iti. Aparang Bhavato Janma. So you were born much after Vivaswara. Vivaswara, the sun god. You were born much after Vivaswara. Aparang Bhavato Janma, Parang Janma Vivaswataha. The sun was Sun God has originated much earlier. You came much later. Kathametat Vijanya. So how am I to understand that in the very beginning, you instructed this science to him, to Sun God. Kathametat Vijanya. Tvam Adav Praktavan. You have spoken as if to Sun God. How am I to understand that? So that's the doubt which Arjuna is expressing to Sri Krishna. So the next, the next sloka, fifth sloka, Sri Bhagavan Uvacha, Vahuni me vyatitani, Janamani tavacharjuna, Tanyahang veda sarvani, Natvang vetha parantapa. So you and me both have went through innumerable births. There have been innumerable births. Vahuni, many, me vyatitani, we have spent Janmani, so many birds. Tava cha Arjuna, that you and me both have gone through that succession of births in the past. Tanyaham, Tani Aham, Tanyaham. It's all those Veda Sarvani. I remember them. It's something vivid for me. Natvam Vetha Parantara. But you don't know. So here, this wonderful concept of reincarnation comes. And what we are alpagya, we have a limited understanding. The avatara comes with that vast knowledge of his past incarnations. So this is something which speaks of his lordship, Isha. So let us try to understand, this is the sutras. If we link with the yoga sutras, you will get a wonderful idea. Wonderful ideas comes from there. So first, just in a general way, we can just understand that why we don't remember our past. Just that example which we were giving even in the last class. Suppose this room, all the doors and windows we close, it becomes dark. And with a projector, we project something on the screen. It's vivid. And now someone comes and opens all the doors and windows. So and then you find that nothing is visible in the screen. The moment the light floods in from outside, nothing is visible. So what has happened? Has the picture really disappeared? No, it is still there. 
the picture is still there but because the moment you open the doors and windows the light floods in and that overwhelms the projection on the screen and it's not visible that's what happens with our life we are so much engrossed with our present life the moment we are born with our senses the senses are like the windows they are all open they're constantly engaged with the world so much attached to it that we shouldn't be thinking that the past is in no way visible it is visible like that projector it is being projected in the screen of your mind it is there but this immediate or interaction with the world our concerns our desires that floods in and that doesn't allow us to see the past you will find even nowadays <clears throat> i don't know how much they are genuine even in tv sometimes you will find there are this shows where this past regression is there but you know that uh, they say that if you see if something is even if it's not genuine but you can never think of anything if some truth is there that only can be imitated even if someone is feigning there must be some truth of that only they feign so let us just find if you find that uh, let us not go whether it is true or not but the procedure they follow if you just go to the tv and just uh, if you go to any internet and try to fast find some videos on past regression the proper's the procedure they are following you'll find a wonderful thing the person who is supposed to regress to his past he's there's they they give some auto suggestion the one who is conducting the thing he or she will be giving some auto suggestion they will be asked to relax in some couch and they will be giving some suggestion in where he's or she is supposed to relax completely the mind should be free from all thoughts so you will find that's the basic procedure and that takes them to gradually to that regression of the past what it speaks of simple if you can really calm down the mind close your doors and windows the projection is always going on it becomes visible so this is the basic idea now we will go to that idea in the yoga sutra it's a wonderful idea there are so many ideas uh, when we speak that we believe in past now anyone can ask us that you believe in past then why don't you remember your past why don't we remember our past why our memory is selective just to give a very funny example that we believe in evolution that most probably we were born as some cattle some in some past birth it's of course possible in evolution uh, it is possible so we gradually became a human being now as a cattle we we are used to graze on the grass isn't it so we had a tremendous liking for it now as a human being do we salivate seeing the grass no we don't salivate we don't feel anything so then what what about the sanskara sanskara if you say the sanskara is never lost it is saved where it has gone so these things has been described in yoga sutra in a wonderful way you also will be amazed the how they dealt with the human psychology the idea is that our mind is nothing but vrittis constantly will find there is thought pulsations it never stops even when i am sleeping we are dreaming even when i am not dreaming when i am in deep sleep i may think that my mind is totally calm but nowadays through eeg it has been found still you have waves there are some waves in your mind even you are when you are deep sleep the mind never stops this that's in yoga sutra has been mentioned as vrittis very interesting the terminologies are very interesting the word vritti doesn't mean wave the term word vritti means profession that if you are a doctor your vrittis to be a medical practitioner a businessman his vrittis to just be a businessman a teacher these are all vrittis now why the thought waves are called vrittis vritti doesn't mean wave vritti means profession very interesting why how these terms were coined now my vritti what is its what, what it is meant for to meant it is meant to sustain me isn't it a doctor sustains himself by his practice as a medical practitioner a teacher a professor a businessman everyone they are of course serving others but at the same time they sustain themselves with their profession 
So vritti means what? The thing by which you sustain yourself. That's your vritti. Now the yoga understood the mind doesn't exist, cannot exist if these waves are not there. As long as the waves are there, the mind is. If the wave stops, the mind is not. And that's the basic difference between the Eastern and the Western philosophy. In the Eastern philosophy, uh, in the Western philosophy, the soul has been equated with the mind. So why you are? Because you are, you think you are. That's why. That's what your thought says you are. But in Vedanta, in uh, this yoga, the idea of your real identity comes when you go beyond the mind. That as long as you have the mind, you can never know yourself. The reality is avang manasagochara. It is beyond vak, beyond mind, mana. Something beyond that. That's your reality. So we that's why very second sutra in the yoga sutra is what? Yoga chitta vritti nirodha. To suppress this waves of the mind, the thoughts of the mind. Now, why they are called vritti? As we told, the mind cannot sustain itself without those thoughts. The moment you can stop the thought, the mind is no more there. So the mind as if is sustained by these waves. So now you will understand the thing which sustains you, that is your vritti. So the profession of the mind is the waves, the vritti. So that's why they are called vritti. So these thought waves are constantly there. Even when I'm sleeping, awake, so that's what constitute my limited individuality. Now this vritti in Yoga Sutra, very interestingly, they have distinguished into two categories. One is called klishta and another is aklishta. Klishta means affliction, klesha means from klesha the word klishta came. Aklishta. There are certain vrittis with which feelings, emotions, nothing is involved. It is just, it gives us knowledge. Just I'm seeing at the watch. I neither like it, I neither hate it. It is just there. It is giving me some knowledge, but my emotive faculty is not getting linked to it. So these are all aklishta vritti. And there is and the vrittis which is a matter of our concern, which is the cause of our bondage, is the klishta vritti. The vrittis which are linked with your emotive faculty, your feelings. That. Whenever I see something, even for a microbe, any if you give a nutrient, it will be drawn towards it. If you give some toxin, it will be repelled from it. So from there it shows, the moment we have the idea in this limited body and I get identified with it, I develop raga, attachment, or dvesha, hatred. And this raga and dvesha, in turn, finds expression as abhinivesha. That I, that I this, uh, why I have developed this raga? Because I want to preserve myself as this limited body-mind complex. I have forgotten my real nature. My real nature is reflected through this body-mind complex. And I take this to be something which is real. And that's why I want to preserve it. So all my attachment comes from the idea of sustaining myself as a limited individuality. That results in raga. And anything which is harmful to it, that results in situation. And it becomes so crystallized that I develop abhinivesha, the tremendous attachment to this life, to this body. So what it speaks of, this all the emotive faculties uh, which are associated with the vrittis, those vrittis are called klishta vritti. So a klishta klishta. Now whatever may be the vritti, they are never lost. Very interesting. They are never lost. Once a vritti is there in your mind, the impression of it immediately gets saved. It gets as sanskara. It gets saved in your mind, as in the subconscious mind. It is there. Whatever you experience, it's always there. It is there as a sanskara, as the latent impression, always in your subconscious mind. So all the vrittis results in sanskara. And this sanskara, which is in your subconscious mind, they again come back as memory in your thought. So suppose today I had some delicacy and then I forgot about it. And then a few days after a month or so, someone uh, brings or just I'm passing through a, passing by the restaurant and I just, I think of going there and I see in that menu, that particular delicacy, which I've tested is there in the menu. Immediately the memory is revived. Oh, 
it's something I have really enjoyed, I have relished. Let me have it again. So all the sanskara result in memory. It comes back as memory. Whenever favorable circumstances there, it comes back as memory. So these sanskaras, these memories and the latent impressions which are not lost, which is always there in your subconscious mind. Whatever I have experienced from the very inception of creation till at the present, through all innumerable births which I have gone through, nothing is lost. In the Yoga Sutra, they say these are all vasanas. These terms are very important. These vasanas are all stored in my mind. And all these thoughts resulting in actions, those actions, these repetitive actions also as vasanas is stored in your mind. So this is something which is very individual. All the vasanas in the individual aspect is getting stored as sanskaras and smriti in my mind. There's an individual aspect. But the wonderful thing in Yoga Sutra they have told that there is another cosmic aspect of our karma. Whatever actions we are doing, individuality is getting stored as sanskaras in your mind, but it has a cosmic effect. What's that cosmic effect? There's the idea of karma ashaya. Ashaya means receptacle. Karma ashaya. That whatever actions you are doing, whatever sanskara you are producing, that to fulfill that, you need favorable circumstances, isn't it? If I uh, develop that any test for certain delicacy, then what? To, to really uh, relish it, again, I will be searching the restaurant where I have went. So you will be drawn to that environment. Again, you will be drawn, you will be going there, that becomes a receptacle where your desires can be fulfilled. So this is the cosmic, this is not something directly in my hand. So every action is resulting in sanskara as an in individual aspect, in another aspect, in the cosmic, you are going to be gravitated to some circumstances where you find the receptacle where your karmas can be fulfilled. That is the idea of karmashaya. And this karmashaya, based on all the actions, some are more prevalent in my mind, some are very strong, some are quite, quite weak. <clears throat> the strong desires they all will be resulting in this vipaka, the transformation, resulting in my birth in a particular species. Okay, that uh, in a part to give an example is the best. Sometimes just uh, plainly just saying it becomes difficult. Suppose as a young boy or a young girl, when we started growing, so we never liked to study, but we found that our parents, our teachers, everyone insisted that Based on your grades, your future will be determined, study. They were constantly reminding us that it is something very important in our life. And we had to use our willpower. Though we never liked, because of the insistence, we started studying that we used our willpower. That, okay, the morning and the evening, some hours, we have to sit for our studies. And who is a good student? The one who doesn't have to use the will anymore. Somehow the study has become a passion, started liking it. Now what happens? Now your sanskara, accordingly you are creating that sanskara, you have developed a liking for the studies and in the school you will find the immediate result which has an individual effect in my life. I find I'm getting good grades because I'm studying naturally uh, based, uh, as you're studying. So in the examinations you're performing well, you're getting good grades. This now, say you are in that now, the 12th year. After that, you have to determine a, a, your course in the university, in what uh, stream you are going to study in your, for your higher studies. So now there, an interesting thing will happen. So when in the 12th standard, you got good grades, based on your grades, now your, uh, this scope will open up. Most probably you got good grades with that, you can get admitted for some medical course. Now, once you enter into the, that medical course, that entire medical college is not the result of your karma. Isn't it? Was it the result of your karma? Because you were good in your studies, has that resulted in that medical college? No. It is a collective effort. The entire society, they, the government, the tax you pay, that has resulted in that structure there. So that's what we are saying, that cosmic, that is the karma shaya. It is already there. 
your actions your actions resulted in gravitating you to that subject so now you got good grades you go there so most probably among all the subjects you had a fascination for life science you want to study uh, medical science and that becomes your vipaka transformation that takes you there now a very interesting thing will happen that why we forget all the impressions of the past only selective memory we have now see as a student in the school i was good in all the subjects i was i had a lot of co curricular activities i was interested in many of those activities i was good in la this language uh, what you say this on the language and social science in all the subjects i was good i had some lot of extracurricular activities most probably i was taking part in various games now when i am in the medical college as this becomes my new world you will find that for the time being all has got shadowed isn't it that my interest in the social studies in literature that has got shadowed my interest in the medical though i was good in all the subjects but now the interest as per the ashaya as per the receptacle where i am only those particular subject that now gets prominence i start studying more of that life science only not the other subjects and when you get established as a doctor and again you have some relaxation most probably now that struggle is gone some laser is there those interest again may come back it was hidden in your mind isn't it so now you will understand this idea of karma ashaya resulting in jati ayu bhoga i born i'm born in a particular jati particular species that has a particular life span and i have to go through this particular experiences based on the jati in which i have been born other things are for the time being shadowed so that's the idea has been spoken of in the yoga sutra know it for certain that whatever desires we have it's never lost somehow today or tomorrow based on the intensity of the desire you will create your own world i will give a wonderful example i when i uh, i was in luck um, in what the lucknow yeah in india for some time and there as a novice i joined there and there unfortunately it happened of one of our close associates children child they were staying in calcutta they came to the center at lucknow and they just related that it's very unfortunate our son he got this addicted he is a drug he has become a drug addict and now we are very much concerned so we were thinking if why don't you please keep him in the ashram our senior swami ji who was there to him they requested that in the ashram he stays as you have boundary wall never allow him to go outside give him lot of work like uh, that we have our garden we have a, some work in our shrine maybe in the kitchen there is a hospital also if required you can take just uh, engage him in some work in the hospital so all those so you keep him engaged in all those works so that he doesn't uh, his mind remains engaged in something productive and just don't allow him to go out of the boundary so that he is isolated from the external world maybe he may come out from this addiction the swami ji agreed oh, okay let's try there's no doubt he was a very close associate of ours and so he was allowed in first we found that the boy's behavior is quite good he's a very nice boy behaving very well but we realized see we have started missing things in our room in those days we had radio and the radio is missing watch the the timepiece is missing and we never used to lock the room inside because after after all ashram has a boundary wall there is a security there is outside there is a gate so our our room used to be open so now we started locking because suddenly we found it's all things are missing and then one day from the shrine the the box the offering box the entire box was missing someone has taken out from the wall how is it possible the security guard is there at night security is there no one can enter then it must be someone who is inside they are doing how can it be in ashram after all it's all the monks were staying so it was it was perplexing us that's what's happening and in the meantime for the second time that offering box again was uh that were uh, taken out from the wall that two box were stolen offering box and then again what happened uh, after few days 
at night the security guard just started just uh, blowing the whistle very strongly and he woke us up i don't know what happened at the mid of night it was too uh, uh, yeah at, at in the way it it was 2 am in the morning means early morning means it's night still it's night and then uh, he called us took us behind the garage and where that boy who was an addict he kept him just tied his hands and he was just sitting there so that he may not run away he was then we were surprised what has happened he was a well behaved boy we knew he was drug addict but we find no signs and that he was and then the security told i have caught him is he who was again trying to that um, take out of this uh, offering box actually he uh, uh, what you say this uh, took it out from the wall and he was actually digging a hole behind the garage so so that he can keep it there he can just hide it beneath the ground and that's when he was caught and the other two box were found there so we were all surprised what how come all these things are there what has happened then we started interrogating him and then we were really surprised he never went out of the ashram he was there in the ashram but you know the, the drug peddlers they started they, because in the daytime the ashram is open anyone can come and there are some places where you can meet other people like in the shrine or in the office where he was interacting with these drug drug peddlers the drug peddlers came in he was interacting with them they gave him free for some time and then they were asking him money now where he will get money and then he was resorting to all those things now just think that he was in a total protected environment in the ashram you cannot think a place better than that and he cannot go out security is there but if you have a if you have a desire know it for certain the world will open up for you that comes in it drags in it comes in it is going to happen so you can in no way we can avoid that that's why in our scriptures so much importance is given to keep your mind always pure that you may think some thought is in my mind it is not finding expression through my life it is i am safe no that's the thing is we know it for certain somehow today or tomorrow this you will be gravitated we all will be gravitated to all our desires so that's the thing which is happening through eternity as per the intensity of the desire particular desires des- decides in what condition we will be born and that becomes our be all and ex- end all of our existence for the time being other things we forget suppose in this life i developed a passion for learning music but it never materialized but i had an intense desire most probably in the next birth you will be born in a family where all are musicians and you will find that there are so many child prodigy in such type of family from the then you may say that as they are in that environment that's why they have developed but you will find that their father mother being a musician they have they actually teaching small children so their own child is actually uh, learning along with the other children but this their own child they will be learning much at a faster rate than the others what it speaks of he has already developed those sanskaras most probably in the past birth which gravitated him to this family in that family he was born in this environment and that this intense desires that's are prominent in the mind the other things are all hidden so all your immediate that's your immediate inter interaction with the world as per your desire that decides what's being filtered out and what's prominent in your mind so now you will understand the idea that though we are passing through this innumerable births जन्मा i use my will power to get rid of it and sometimes we get rid of it and we feel elated but as in the spiritual sense they are saying nothing is done to get rid of one desire is nothing because there are innumerable desires in our mind innumerable desires one we get rid of the other arises so what how we can be liberated it's almost impossible 
So there's, there are so many desires in our mind. So that's the subject in the Yoga Sutra, which they take it, how to get rid of all the desires. All, uh, and in one go, we can actually get rid of the, all of them. The so idea is, it's the idea that of our limited individuality, the ego, with which all those desires are linked. If you can get rid of your ego, all the desires fall off all at once. In the words of Ramakrishna, Ami Mukta, someone asked, Ami Mukta Habukabe, when shall I be free? His answer was wonderful. When I, I within the inverted commas, when I cease to be, when that I is no more there, you're free. That's the cause of bondage. In the word sin, S-I-N sin, we say that in Vedanta we don't believe in sin. But if we take sin as something which is a uh, matter of concern, then you cannot just understand this word sin in this way, that the core of sin is I. Literally, core of sin is S-I-N, I is in the middle between S and N. And actually, in our life, all our misgivings, all the things which is the cause of our bondage is that I, which is the core. You can get rid of it, then all this blemishes falls off once at a time. So that's the idea that now we will just go, let's, let us forget about avatar. That in our life, when we start our spiritual journey, a time comes when our mind starts pervading our past births also. We remember that how it happens. So that's the idea. Let's try to understand that. You know, there is a very wonderful, another Yoga Sutra, there is a Sutra in the, uh, it is the, in the third chapter, the Vibhuti Pada. It's almost in the end. There's a concept of prati, uh, Pratibha. Pratibha. What is that? Tarakam Sarva Vishayam Sarvatha Vishayam Akramam Cha Iti Vivekajam Gyanam. That the ultimate discriminative knowledge comes when it comes, what happens? Let us not go to the uh, word by word literal meaning. The idea is you get Akramam Gyanam. Your knowledge is no more sequential. The entire knowledge flashes in your mind all at once. What it's speaking of? Very, that when you're reading a book, when you're reading a book, you're reading page by page, isn't it? First you start word, line by line, word by word, line by line, page by page, you're reading. And the entire book has been read. You close the book. Now the knowledge of the entire book is there in your mind. Now, someone brings the book and keeps in front of you. You see that the title of the book immediately now as you have already read it it's not that again you have to go through the page by page immediately the gist of the book the summary comes in your mind it flashes so they say for a man of realization that's what happens what is speaking of that each page means each life we are going through so many lives when the realization comes everything comes in a flash how it happens it's a very wide subject when it, it, just to have an idea that what the Yoga Sutra is speaking, we will go to that this description of this various types of samapati, this meditation, which leads in samadhi. Very nice. They say, when you can really calm down your mind, the first samadhi that comes is sananda. A, a state where you are full of bliss. That's the first thing. That happens either through some uh, what is this mindfulness or through some focus when you are trying to observe your mind stop all the thoughts just by observing you are aware that that the, what the thoughts are arising when you focus on your mind you are mindful about it without responding to what's in your mind the mind gradually calms down so that is one way or you focus in one thought so that other thoughts are all starts falling off whatever way you may do it and the mind really calms down. The first experience is of bliss. The more you can calm down, the more the bliss ensues. So from where that bliss comes, this is a very wonderful thing of meditation. Any meditation you do, that bliss ensues. Now, suppose you are carrying a lot of weight in your shoulder. You are, having, you are just on some excursion. You are having uh, a bag full of this all your belongings but as you're always carrying it you get so habituated with it you don't feel the weight you, it is it has just become as if a part of you now 
then suddenly uh, just to relax you keep down the bag and you do you feel tremendous a sense of lightness a let go when you were carrying the bag you had you as you were got habituated with it you were not feeling the wet but the moment you keep it down immediately you feel tremendously relaxed a let go ensues because yes i am feeling light i have kept down the wet i am feeling very light now now we are carrying this baggage constantly of in your mind all our thoughts our desires constantly we are carrying and as we are carrying it always we got so habituated we don't feel it but when you are practicing meditation you have calmed down the mind then there the let go issues suddenly this baggage you have dropped and that results in that bliss so you forget and that once the bliss ensues now you get so focused to the bliss you just contemplate on that bliss everything starts falling off but that's not the that's just the initial stage from this ananda state comes asmita is very interesting what is that when i am enjoying something at the beginning i am totally identified with that enjoyment it takes some time to realize that i am separate from the enjoyment i am this is the thing i am enjoying so even in ananda state you are for quite some time you get habituated with that state then the idea comes it is it is not that i am one with the bliss bliss is something i am enjoying it this i is that pure asmita you have separated and now see that all other desires has fallen off only this bliss was there now you start separating yourself from that bliss what that now what remains filtered out is a pure asmita which is not attached the sense of amness is there that i am but it is not associated with any of your likings dislikings any of your emotions is a pure i the moment you get established in that pure i immediately what happens that let go has ensued the mind is totally cleared up and now you start regressing to the past you can see so even for a man of what you say he is not an avatar <clears throat> just an ordinary being like us through his spiritual evolution he goes to the state where he can see the past who is an avatar one who out of infinite compassion unconditional love for humanity he is a free soul he is free the god <clears throat> if you take it's a god himself then of course he is the omnipotent god he is knows everything he is just why what's the cause of his birth not like us like thousands of devotions their desires he is born because he has some what you say that unconditional love for the humanity that to understand this idea of unconditional love there is very nice uh, parable of sri ramakrishna very nice parable the three friends were passing down the street and there was a very a huge wall there was a huge wall they were curious to know what's behind this what's beyond the wall so they managed to get a ladder with one ladder they reclined it on the wall one of them climbed the ladder and he was so elated when he just peeped to the other side you know he was on the top of the wall he peeped the other side he was so elated he didn't even have that uh, um, what you say that he couldn't even have the time to relate his experience to the other two friends he was so excited he was so elated he simply jumped to the other side he was ecstatic the second friend also made the same fit when he got up he couldn't resist himself he jumped the third one when he got up he also felt like jumping to the other side it was a mirth of joy but the thought came if i jump no one is there to relate this experience to the world that what's that what we are missing so he restrained himself came down avataran he is coming down so is what's the what's the motivation for coming down he has no personal motive no selfish motive not to do business he is not a mercenary just out of unbound love for the humanity he is or she is coming down that's the avataran so here also this idea of avataran comes it is only because of unconditional love he comes down very interesting you even you know that they say 
that even to have gold ornaments, to have gold ornaments, you can never have gold ornaments with pure gold. Little alloy has to be there. Little dross has to be there. You cannot make ornaments with pure gold. It will become something very soft. You can, it won't take any form. So similarly, just we were that you know at the very beginning we started with the discussion <clears throat> that what results in incarnation what of birth human birth is a klishta vrittis. A klishta vrittis has nothing to do with our uh, incarnations, with our this uh, what you say this uh, taking birth again and again. It has nothing to do with the aklishta, which only with knowledge. We never have all those vasanas. Now the, the result of birth is vasana. Now avatara, he also has to come down. And he has no vasanas. With what he comes down? It's only because of that unconditional love. That's the dross. That is also an emotion. With that, he comes down. But as that's something which doesn't speak of selfishness, his mind is very pure, clean. So he comes down just like an actor. He's just an actor. He's coming down just like an actor. He knows that he's just acting. He never forgets his own glory, the divine glory. We are all divine because of maya. The word maya is very interesting. This word itself, if you just know the etymological meaning, you'll find the entire philosophy behind it. What's the meaning of the word maya? Ya means yathayatha, as it is. Ma is a negation of that. That whatever I'm seeing, perceiving, whatever idea I have about myself, everything is maya, is not yathayatha, is not as it is. The ignorance came and it is showing me something as true, which actually is not true. It's reality something else. And when I think I am as a limited being, it is because of that maya. It is a wrong knowledge. It's because of that ignorance. I've forgotten my reality. It is the same. That's why Sri Ramakrishna, the gospel, again and again, uh, you'll find is saying that Pash Baddha Jeev, Pash Mukta Shiv. All the Pash, Pash means all these desires, these afflictions. As long as you are bound within that, you are Jeeva. When all those afflictions falls off, you are Shiva. So we don't know that. But the one who is an avatar, he is always aware of his divine glory. Because of unconditional love, he's coming down so that he can help out of the humanity from the state in which they are suffering there. So he can show the way out. So that's the idea which we find in this sloka. We will find that you'll find this, these slokas are very interesting. We have to study them in such a way that the meaning becomes very clear. Otherwise, we resort to some idea that, oh, God is very powerful. But what that power means, actually? This power doesn't mean of the strength in which we have the idea of strength, that it has. It speaks of tremendous strength. It actually speaks of love. So generally, we think strength as something masculine and masculine, and love is something feminine. But we forget that real strength is love. And the strength of God that coming down is actually real. Uncom this, un what you say this? Uh, this love, unconditional love, which has no nothing to get in return. That love is the strength. To understand that love is the strength, again, let us resort to one example which Swami Vivekananda is giving. Very nice example. That the real strength, real courage always comes from love. Real strength comes from love. And he's giving a very nice example. Suppose a girl is passing down the street, a young mother is passing down the street and she hears the barking of a dog. She even, she couldn't, she is, haven't even seen the dog. She have just heard the barking of the dog from where, nowhere the dog is barking. <clears throat> and she's so terrified, she starts running, frantically running. The next day, the same girl, the same young mother, She's holding a child now today. And Swami is saying, now just think the scenario. What to speak of a dog? If today even a lion comes, you will find the same girl who was scared of the barking of a dog. Today she's facing the lion guarding the child. The child that if I have, if the lion pounces, let it pounce on me. I have to save the child. From where he got that strength, that courage, only love, nothing else. 
So love gives that courage, the strength, the strength of avatar. It's not something masculine. It's this motherly. It's extremely feminine. It's something which speaks of that unconditional love. With that, they come down, just taking resort to his own maya. Otherwise, there is no, there's nothing can bind him. Uh, this the thing which binds him is that unconditional love. With that, he descends. So that's the idea which will be spoken of in the next sloka. In this sloka, they spoke that I know my past, you don't know your past, and I, resorting to my own maya, the maya which forces you to come down to take birth, the same maya, I use it as my servant. For you, it is your master. For me, it is my servant. I use it just, it is my adhina. That we are, we are maya adhin, and God is maya adhish. He is the lord of maya. And we are bound by maya. So he takes the maya as its own tool to come down to help out mankind. And that's being spoken of in the next sloka, the sixth sloka. What is this saying? Ajopi sanyavyayatma bhutanam ishwaropisan prakritim swam adhishtaya sambhavami atmamaya. So though I am unborn, there's nothing there to bind me Nothing can gravitate me down again to this physical plane. I'm unborn. That our desires gravitates us to the circumstances in which we find ourselves. We generally blame the world, but actually we blame is on ourselves. We have to blame ourselves. It is we who has resulted in the circumstances in which we are. It is our desires that brings us. So, But he is unborn. The Lord is unborn because he has no desires. There cannot be anything which can gravitate him down to this world of physical existence. Ajopi, son of Vyayatma, means his avyaya, his, means his ephemer, means the word avyaya is very interesting. That you may have a long life, but at the same time, you are aging, you are constantly transforming. They speak of Vikara. We go through six changes. Jayate, Asti, Vardhate, Viparinamate, Apakshiyate, Nasti. That first we are not eternal and then even the lifespan which we have, we are constantly decaying, changing, transforming. We were small kids, we are growing. Jayate, Asti, we exist for some time. We are born, we exist for some time. Vardhate, we grow for some time. And then comes the question of Viparinamate. In the middle age, the transformation starts. And then apakshyati, the process of decay starts, jara, and then nasti. Then at last, this physical existence is annihilated. So, avyaya means he never goes through any of this transformation. He is purana purusha. The word purana is very interesting. Purana means pura api navaiva. Means it which never gets old. It's ever aging, but never old. Pura api, though it is existing through eternity. But it is never eva, it is always new. Though it is ever aging, it is ever new. Pura api never eva. Pura api, that is Purana. So he is Purana, Purana Purusha. He is Avyaya. And he is Ajar, unborn. And he is the lord of the entire Bhuta. Anything that is that, that exists, Bhuta, that which is born, means from the word, from the verb root, bhu, the word bhuta came. Bhu means to, to be born. So anything that is born, he is the lord of all of the Mishwaropisan. So he has no purpose of taking birth. But he also resorting to his own maya because of this unconditional love. Prakritim swam adhishthaya. That's, I, I resort to my own maya. I get hold of my own maya. Sambhavami. I take birth as an incarnation by resorting to my own maya, atma maya. Sri Ramakrishna used to give a very nice example. The maya, which is the cause of our bondage, with that maya, when the Lord is associated, he's always associated because it, after all, maya is the Lord's maya. He is the mai. The maya is the Lord of the maya. He's always with that, but that, it, that never affects the Lord. Sri Ramakrishna in his own simple way used to say, the snake, uh, the, a venomous snake, 
when it bites you, you are going to die. But the snake is always with the snake. It is not affecting it. So Lord is always with the Maya. It in no way affects him. But it inflicts the fangs of ignorance, the poison of ignorance to all who are under him. This Bhuta, this, he is the Ishwar of them. He is the Lord of them. All the Bhutas are being afflicted by Maya. But he resorts to the Maya. He takes help of the Maya to come down to help us out from this state of our afflictions. So what's the purpose of his body? Well, in what context the birth of a divine incarnation materializes? That will be spoken of in the 7th and in the 8th verse. This is very interesting. What he's saying, we have studied this. Yada yada hi dharmasya glanir bhavati bharata abhyutthanam adharmasya tadatmanam sriyamya so whenever the dharma declines, yada yadahi dharmasya glanir bhavati. And then adharma is at the rise, abhyutthanam adharmasya, tadatmanam sriyamyaham. So whenever there is a decline in the righteousness and there is an increase in unrighteousness, then I manifest myself on this earth. And the 48th verse, what is saying? Paritranaya sadhunam. Vinashaya Chadushkritam, Dharma Sangsthapanarthaya, Sambhavami Yuge Yuge. This is oft quoted, this is verses of Gita, that to protect the righteous, Paritranaya Sadhuna, those who are righteous, those who are following the path of Dharma, to protect them. And Vinashaya Chadushkritam, to annihilate the wicked. And Dharma Sangsthapana, to establish Dharma. I come again and again and again. Nothing restricts me. So this is the idea which has been spoken of here. That Many say that how the infinite can take the form finite. So when you say that you are limiting God, isn't it? If when I say God is uh, omnipotent, he's all-powerful, then what restricts him from taking this incarnation? He can. If he's all-powerful, the moment I say he cannot take birth as a human being, I am restricting his power. He is all-powerful. He has the... He, from him, this entire projection has been created. And how come he himself cannot take a divine incarnation? In the present day, it's very easy to understand. Suppose if software programmer has created a computer game. There are so many characters, landmarks, everything is there. And there is some issue with that computer particular game. So what the programmer do, uh, does... He himself will be inserting another character with, with which he himself will be identifying himself or herself. And that character will be the one who is there to take care of all the issues which is within that virtual reality. So you can think of Avatar as something like that. That he has projected the universe with all the landmarks, with all animate and inanimate objects. And he comes down here as a character to take care of any issues which has been created there, to resolve it. And what are the three purposes? To establish dharma, to get rid of adharma, uh, sorry, to protect the righteous is the first, to annihilate the wicked as the second, and the third is to establish dharma. So what actually dharma, that uh, we will uh, again take up this to in the next class, but in short, we can have an idea that what's dharma and what's adharma. In one line, very nicely it has been described. What's dharma? Paropokara punyaya papaya parapirana. Whenever you are thinking of the collective welfare, that is dharma. Whenever you are, whenever you are trying to uh, give more importance to your interest at the cost of collective welfare, that is adharma. As simple as that. That my interest, of course, is important, but not at the cost of others. Just to take the traffic lights. The traffic lights, they are there for the collective, for helping everyone. To reach your destination, all should get the fair chance to go to their destination in time. So the traffic lights, but we find what? That when I am in the crossroad, now there is bound to be a chaos. Everyone wants to go to their destination first. So for the collective goodness, the traffic lights are there. 
So if I'm following the traffic lights, though I have to go to my destination as early as possible, but not at the cost of that collective goodness. So that's why we give importance to the traffic light, isn't it? Yes. So, okay, my destination is important. Going there is important, but not at the cost of others. So if you break that traffic rules, you know that you will be fine. So this idea, this of this traffic, idea of traffic, you can take it in the cosmic level. And that will really get the answer of dharma and adharma. You'll find this is working everywhere. There's a plan, divine plan. The traffic is working everywhere. Uh, to give you an example, very interesting example, you will find that some something we cannot explain with our uh, this uh, what is an, with our rational mind. So many things we cannot explain. That if you live uh, in the hands of nature, you don't try to in any way manipulate nature. If you leave it in the hands of nature, in any country, you will find a wonderful thing that the male and the female ratio is almost same. Isn't it something, it is a matter of uh, a wonder, surprise, how it happens? Who is doing it? It's a random. The parents don't know whether it will be a boy or a girl, but collectively who take in nature, somehow you will find that ratio is same if you are not interrupting. Something like traffic is there, wonderful. Something is happening. Okay, and when adharma happens in India, you know that now with the technology, you can find out what's there in your in the mother's womb and the child abortions will be there and suddenly you will find the male population has increased and now it results in what? You'll find all sorts of social uh, uh, disharmony will be there. So what you will, in, in every field you will find that if you live to the nature, some balance is there, which we disturb because of our transgressions, because of our tremendous greed that we have become like the cancer cells. See, in the body, it's a wonderful thing that every body, the entire body is growing in a very balanced way. Both the hands grow in the same way, with the legs in the same way. Your every the body, this suddenly the head doesn't become too uh, this big compared to the body. Everything has its own proportion. When we say that we have cancer, that when some of the cells they start reproducing at much faster rate than they're supposed to. They're taking the food from the, well, this whatever food you are taking from that, they're taking the nutrients and they are reproducing at a much faster rate. That results in the tumor, that results in the cancer. And that result, what will happen at last? That the person will die along with that, the cancer cell also will die. They're not going to stay without the body. They also will die. So you will find the entire society becomes carcinogenic. when when we forget that we have to maintain that balance, that traffic, we have to maintain and grow. We have to grow, but keeping the welfare of the entire, the collective, the shamashti, we have to grow. The moment we forget, then the adharma prevails. So behind all the dharma, the principle is empathy. All the laws are based on that. Based on the principles, the laws are made. Now, when you fabricate the laws, Based on the principles, first it seems very easy. Follow the laws, you're following the principles. That's dharma. I saw it in one of the uh, interview of a very famous, uh, what he says, is a, he's a, he studies mythology, mythology. His name is Devdat Pattanayak. He's one of his interviews is very interesting. He saw, they say, see, there's a lot of difference between Rama and Krishna. You see, Rama, he's Maryada Vanpush. He never goes beyond the laws. Whatever that, whatever that, as a, a, as a son, I have to obey my father. Whatever sacrifice it may result in, he's never going deviating from any law. So why the laws are made to follow the principles, and he follows all the laws, and naturally he's uh, following the principle. So that's the character of Rama. He's Maryada one, and that's the opposite character, Ravana. He's breaking. Intentionally breaking all the laws, absconding with Sita, the other's wife, and all this, all is consciously you're breaking the law. This diametrically opposite is Ravana. So you are breaking the laws, naturally, you are breaking the principle. Now you come to Krishna Avatara, it's very interesting. He's breaking all the laws, not a single law, he's the entire war. So not he's an Avatara. Then what happens with the passage of time? We humans are really very clever. 
we know to use the laws, the laws which were made to follow the principle, we start using the laws to break the principles. You see the entire legal system, They're using the laws to break the principle. The law is there to give proper judgment, isn't it? But you will find the one who has money, he has the judgment in his side. And that speaks of the deterioration of time, that adharma, how it comes. We as a human being, has the capacity to use the law to break the principle. You will find when Duryodhana is saying that I am the king, that I won't give Shuchagra Medini, that even a, that the land as uh, is equivalent to the point of a needle, that much land also I won't give without war. He has taken away the prop, this, the land, the kingdom from some uh, from the Pandavas and now he's saying, without war, I'm not going to give. They have asked only for five villages. He's not ready to give. So he's speaking of law. I am the king. I do have the power. And I will decide to whom. To... See, his empathy has totally gone. That his own brothers, his own cousins, he's not even ready to give five villages. He is speaking of law at the cost of the principle. He has taken the law in his own hand. So Duryodhana speaks of, you will find... Basically, he is not breaking the law. He's the uh, son of the king, and he's saying that this kingdom is mine. Pa Pandu was a caretaker. Dhritarashtra is a real king, so I am bound to be the king. And Pandavas inherit nothing. So legally, you may find everything is okay, but if you go through the Mahabharata, the way he is taking his kingdom and whatever Pandavas actually acquired by themselves, that also he has actually taken away from them. It speaks of exploitation, tremendous exploitation. So he's using the laws to actually break. It's almost like the present complicated legal system. So in such situation, again, you will find to uphold the principles, avatara may have to come down by breaking the laws. You have to uphold the principle again. And that's what the Krishna is, you'll find diametric. That's when the society becomes so complicated. When we start and all the dharma in the present day, anytime you find it happens, uh, we use the laws to break the principles. And then that's the question of this declining of the dharma. When such thing happens, God comes down again to make the thing straight. So that the unless the collective society is integrated and balanced, we cannot think of our own spiritual evolution first have to have that environment, that best. So to keep the things right, so that again, we have the chance to evolve. So that's the purpose for which he descends. So that's the basic idea behind this uh, idea of the avatar hood. So we will take this seventh and eighth verses again in the next class to elaborate on this idea of dharma, adharma, and the establishment of dharma. So with this, we stop our discussion today. Thank you all. Namaskar. So just to let you know that uh, uh, after class, if anyone feels like asking questions, you can ask questions. We can just allot five to 10 minutes. Otherwise, uh, after that, we can just simply disperse. If you have any questions, you are welcome.